Hello and welcome back to another episode of the 100k Freelancer Club podcast. Wherever you're listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button as it really does help us out. And if you want, head over to 100kfreelancerclub.com and check out our free content and courses that we have to help aspiring freelancers and entrepreneurs. Uh, And we do have coming up in January, our 100 Days to Full-Time Freelancer program launching as well. So if you are inside of one of our free accounts, uh, you'll be the first to be notified about that. But enough with the promo. I want to jump in and tell you about our amazing guest that we had on the podcast today. So today I spoke to the wonderful Georgia Austin. She went from nine to five worker to freelancer to tech founder. And during her time as a freelancer, she completed a whopping 13,000 projects on Fiverr. And she is now the founder and CEO of WordBrew, which is a hybrid content creation company or hybrid content creation platform that utilizes the power and efficiency of AI, but also has that element of human brain power and creativity to bring best of both worlds together. Now, during this episode, we talk about Georgia's transition from traditional employment to freelancing. We talk about her exponential success on Fiverr. We talk about the birth of her company, WordBrew. And we also dive into adapting to the AI revolution in content creation. And then finally, as well, we go over the challenges and strategies as a freelancer and entrepreneur that Georgia has faced in the past and currently faces today. Uh, I learned a lot from this episode, and I'm sure you will too. Uh, so without any more time on the intro, let's jump into today's episode of the podcast. Okay, Georgia, thanks uh, for joining me today on the 100K Freelancer uh, Club podcast. I think it's pretty early where uh, where you are today, right? So, yeah, where are you calling from? Yeah, it's definitely early, but I'm an early riser. Always have been since I was a kid. It's uh, 8, 11 precisely here in not-so-sunny Tampa. <laughs> oh, wow, nice. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's one in the afternoon here in uh, England. I'm actually recording from England today, but I think I'm the opposite from you. I, I don't think I'd even be able to produce a single sentence if I was doing a podcast at eight o'clock in the morning. So I'm more of a, I'm more of a nighttime worker or more of a late afternoon into the nighttime worker. Um, but yeah, you say, you say you've always been an early riser. Do you think yes. that gives you an edge on the world? Because I've seen, I've seen a lot of posts about how working early in the morning is ultra, uh, ultra productive. Oh yeah. You know, everyone raves about the 5am club and, you know, having this like elaborate routine when you wake up before you start working. I have dabbled into that, but I I've definitely given myself a bit of a break these days. Um, however, I'm looking to get back into it. Typically when I wake up, I, um, I read my book, I stretch and then I just chill a bit, play with my my baby dogs, and then start working by probably around seven ish in the morning. Oh wow! I need to yeah. I need to take some guidance from you because yeah, I would love to be able to do that, but this, for for me the routine is more like eight a.m. alarm from eight till eight thirty. I'm led in bed, looking at emails and doing like responding to a couple of stuff on my phone, which I know is the worst. Like everybody just goes on about how you should get up and 
you know start your day with like some sunlight outside and stuff so i need to i need to change that up but i try and just get that like you know you have those tedious messages about like meeting requests and all these sort of things that you have to go through i just try and get my brain moving a little bit in the bed um uh with that kind of stuff but but yeah, uh, I wanted to jump in today and talk about uh, talk about your career individually, and then we'll move on uh, as well to speak about how you became um, a founder uh, of your own company too. So uh, we'll jump into that a little bit later. But I've got some. Uh, I've been doing some research on you, and there's one crazy thing that I'm going to ask, like ask you uh, that how you uh, managed to achieve, but. You started out like most people traditionally uh, in a nine to five job, and then yes. you transitioned to freelancing. So, walk us through a little bit about what did you what did you do in your more traditional job, and and what was that turning point for you? What made you transition yeah. uh, to become a freelancer? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I was working as a full time copywriter in London, and. During the last couple of months of my time at the company, I took on a freelance role with this um, New York-based research company, and I was called a quote-unquote connector. So my job was to facilitate connections between the between the company's client and um, experts in the industry for you know the people that they're running the survey for to complete that survey. So essentially, they would get compensated a pretty great amount of money for a very short amount of time. So I was one of the top connectors at the company and I was making more money doing that two hours a day than my eight hour a day full-time position, which I loved. I I was very happy at my full-time role, you know, definitely planned to stay at the company. But this specific freelance role really showed me that I... If I have one solid freelance client under my belt, then the rest will come. I just need that extra time to make myself available and start finding other opportunities. So that was really the point where I thought, you know what, if I have this one singular client that's paying me more than my full-time job, I'm going to go ahead and bite the bullet and take on this opportunity and wait for the other opportunities to come. And sure they did not too long after I'm sure I'll get into more about my story later. Yeah, I mean, that started off in an excellent position there in terms of like making that transition. If you've already yeah. got a client and they're already paying you uh, a decent chunk of money, it's kind of like evidence-based of like, okay, I should change because there is much more uh, opportunity here. Were, were you nervous at all to make that leap? Uh, did you have fear of losing that client and then being stuck with nothing? Or how, how did that feel during that like transition period? A hundred percent. It was scary, but you can't live life in fear, right? If you do live life in fear and always thinking, what if, what if, what if you just, you're going to struggle to get somewhere, right? So you really do have to be a little ruthless to some degree. Of course, you can't make stupid decisions that, you know, can really negatively impact you later down the line but you do have to be willing to take risks as a freelancer especially in the early days and there are several risks that I took such as leaving my full-time role um, and a few other you know risks I took over the following months that ultimately led to the success that I had on Fiverr and you know with my company here today. 
Yeah, and to- talking about the the fiber route, you have one of the biggest stats I've probably ever seen, seen, <laughs> and that's uh, thirteen thousand products uh, projects completed within two years. Talk to me about yeah. that. How did you manage to achieve that? Well, it's been quite the roller coaster. So, okay, I my journey started off. I moved to Brazil shortly after I left my full time position, just amidst the pandemic. Little did I know. And I created a Fiverr account about a month into my trip. And I was doing that on my own for a couple of months. And I maybe made anywhere between like 500 and and 1,000 over those three months before I took on a full-time job as a marketing director for a company based in New York. So actually, I turned my Fiverr account off. And the same day that I was offered this full-time position is when I got accepted to Fiverr Pro. So I was kind of weighing up these decisions like, do I stay on Fiverr or do I take this you know, senior opportunity where I have the opportunity to learn and grow. And, you know, it was something new for me. So I took the marketing position and I turned my Fiverr account on um, OOO. And then I did that for the rest of the year until about December. Sadly, things didn't really work out because the company was struggling as a result of the pandemic. So I left the company and then I turned my Fiverr account back on the following January. And this is where things really blew up. So of course, by this point, I was on Fiverr Pro. So I 10x my prices based on, you know, the initial price I was charging was about $10 a blog or something. And then I started charging a minimum of $100 for my basic package for any service I was offering. So that was one thing. And then all of a sudden I was on page one of all the, on the algorithm for every single gig and the clients just started flooding in. So I was doing that on my own again for about three months before I honestly burnt out. So I got to a point where I just couldn't do this on my own anymore. And it was a real wake up call for me to scale and have a team. So on my own, I was handling everything. I was customer support. I was the writer. I was the editor. I was handling, you know, disputes. I was doing absolutely everything, delivering projects or the admin. It was far too much for one person by the time those three months were up. Um, so I started onboarding a team. And of course, the thing is on Fiverr is that everything's coming out under my name, right? So hmm. my vetting process was extremely thorough and I made sure that I hired subject matter expert writers who were 10x better than me at writing on a specific topic and another reason why I chose subject matter expert writers over generalists is because of course they have the expertise and experience in that industry but they also have passion about about, you know in that industry as well so the passion and expertise combined is really a a winning recipe to creating great content in my opinion. So I started scaling my team and before I know it, I was the top writing seller on the platform. Oh, wow. That's a, yeah, that's a huge achievement. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Did you have, did you have difficulty scaling the team though? Because I know a lot of people have, uh, they have great experience and expertise in a certain skill, but when they try and transition that into a business, all of a sudden you become, you know, HR, 
a manager in in that whole aspect comes in and now all of a sudden it's not just you reliant on doing that work it's like okay maybe this writer's on holiday or this writer becomes sick and start to to juggle the work around was that a big shock to the system or how did you adapt to that yeah that's a that's a great question so i was actually having a discussion about this with a friend yesterday and she's in a similar position where she's trying to scale her company. She doesn't know where to start. She doesn't know how many freelancers or you know uh, team members she should bring on at this moment. And I said, look, take a step back. You need to take it day by day. There's only so much planning you can do at the start, you know, in the early days. Um, but a lot of it is just learning as you go. That's why I said, take it day by day scale as your demand increases. And that was exactly my strategy. I took on every single job. I onboarded writers when the time was right, as my demand was increasing, as my existing writers were at capacity, I onboarded new ones. Um, So that was really my strategy, just taking it day by day. And I think that was a great way for me to operate my company without feeling overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great strategy because what a lot of people do is they go, okay, now I'm trans- transitioning to a business. I need this, 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 and this. I need a person for this, a person for that. And then they go and just hire or they massively like increase their expenses um, yeah. too soon. Yes. And then they run into cash flow issues and, and all yeah. sorts of problems. Um, but I, I, I want to swing it back and ask you about Fiverr a little bit. So you mentioned you were making, you know, in in a three month period, you made about a thousand dollars on just normal Fiverr because you were charging like ten dollars a blog post, and then yeah. you switched. Well, you were offered the opportunity to switch, but didn't for a while until you turned it back on the the um, Fiverr Pro. What is the difference between those uh, between those two? Does it because I'm not experienced in Fiverr at all. So, mm-hmm. are you limited to like what you can charge on a basic Fiverr account until you reach that pro level? No, absolutely not. It doesn't, you don't have to be a Fiverr Pro seller to charge $100. There's, there's no restriction to how little you can charge versus how much you can charge. It's more, if you're a Fiverr Pro seller, you're vetted by Fiverr's internal team as one of the top 1% of sellers on the platform. So it's really... It's really a way to help prospective buyers feel more comfortable knowing that they have a pre-vetted freelancer that they can, you know, have complete their work. Uh, okay, yeah. So you've got that sort of backing behind you that's going to sort of increase the conversion, optimal, like the conversion rate essentially exactly. of getting clients because they'll be willing to pay more for a vetted pro. It's sort of eliminating exactly. a certain level of risk for the client. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and then, exactly, so, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, and, no, that's all right. That's all right. And then with so with Fiverr, I guess that the beauty of it is that it brings the clients to you, right? Did you find that you had to do much outreach at all? Like two parts of this question, I guess, is one, were you looking for clients externally to Fiverr and then sending them to Fiverr? Or two, was it just that the the clients were just coming to you because of how well you'd optimized your page, how I guess you were getting great reviews and that was pushing you up the, you know, the algorithm was pushing you up the uh, the results pages. So yeah, is that kind of how it worked? Yeah, so that was definitely another component of my strategy is to accept every single job 
in order to show Fiverr's algorithm that my conversion rate was high. And there were a few other strategies I did in the early days. So when I created a new gig, for example, and it wouldn't show up on page one, I would send clients who needed website content to that other gig to boost the conversion rate of that gig. So yeah, there's a couple of different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the time on Fiverr, a client will message you and you will send them a custom offer. So instead of sending them a custom offer for a blog or website content, whatever they came to me for, I would send them an offer to a new gig that I just posted, especially to repeat clients who I knew would give me five stars, which would improve the kind of social proof um, and level of reviews on my new gigs. Um, But to go back to your question, I really, you know, I way preferred Fiverr over platforms like Upwork, which to be honest, I never really experimented much with, primarily for the reason that on Fiverr, the clients come to you. There's no heavy lifting on the sales front. Well, I mean, to some extent when they, when they contact you, of course, there's a lot of um, heavy lifting there to, you know, make sure you're asking the right questions, getting them on calls, making sure they're having a great experience before they place the order and also after they place the order. Um, so that's kind of a whole other topic in itself. But on Upwork, of course, you have to uh, find the business for yourself. You're competing against so many other freelancers. Whereas on Fiverr, you have that opportunity to showcase your your gigs and your profile in a specific way. You can list companies that you've worked with. You can list your samples and the business comes to you. So for that reason, it's my platform of choice. Of course, however, you have less control over where you are on the algorithm and if the business even comes to you at all. Yeah, I guess it kind of makes you more profitable as well, right? Because, I mean, I guess with Fiverr, this is just my assumption that the amount you can charge starting off is a little bit less because obviously Fiverr is associated with paying $5 for a gig. But if it cuts the time that you spend of having to search for clients, so if you're on Upwork, every obviously every second that you're searching for a client applying for gigs and stuff like that is time that you're not being paid as a freelancer. So if you're cutting out that time and then the clients are coming to you on Fiverr, I guess that means that you can charge a lower rate and essentially earn the same amount of money because you haven't got this unpaid time period. Yeah, exactly. No, that's definitely a great factor about, you know, being a freelancer on Fiverr. Um, and that's really just why it's my favorite freelance platform and something I recommend to other freelancers. And this is actually a strategy that I used as well while growing my account. So I purposely charged, you know, five, ten dollars in the very early days, and I increased the um, price per gig as I as I got every, you know, ten to twenty new reviews. I then scaled up my pricing according with the social proof that I garnered. Ah, yeah, that yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, and it seems like quite a sensible um, journey journey for people to take. Did you ever come across any like challenges or problems um, with using Fiverr and like you know copywriting in gen- like in general? So, being a copywriter in general, were there any problems that you had to overcome on the platform? Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. And one of the great things I love about Fiverr is 
you get to work with people and you know business owners from all across the world however of course that can come with a downside where you know you're you're dealing with somebody who doesn't speak great english and maybe they don't communicate exactly what they needed properly at the start before placing the project so there have been cases where i've you know me or my team delivered a project and the client was like shocked or they didn't they didn't ask for that um but it kind of came down to a communication issue and talking about the review side um me i was i was so anxious when i got my first one star review what i will say to any freelancer is it will happen you cannot please everybody it's part and parcel of you know having a business being a freelancer you just cannot please everyone and it's okay when that happens don't beat yourself up about it the positive reviews typically always outweigh the negative ones but just prepare yourself for that <laughs> yeah i mean i've had some similar experiences where uh, i was doing a web design project years ago on upwork i think it was and I sent the design over and the client was like, no, this is not what I asked for. This is nothing like this, that and the other. Yeah. And they were just going crazy. And like my like self-esteem was like destroyed. Yeah. Um, and then they, they rejected the, like they rejected the design and stuff like that. And like, we're yeah. trying to give like a bad review. But I think what it was is this went to dispute and I won. I think it was actually that the, the, the client didn't even have the money. They just wanted to, um, they wanted to hire this freelancer and not pay for right. the work. So I think this is oh, also yeah. like, you need to look for reasons behind it. Like if you trust in your ability and you know that you're doing a good job, then you need to yeah. be sort of like true to yourself. Cause I think that there are bad clients out there. There are people that even like, if you're a designer, for example, or a content creator or a copywriter, they're not going to be necessarily suited to your style and like exactly. the way you do things. So, yeah, I guess it is hard when you get those 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 bad reviews come in. You think, oh, my God, you know, like it's the same. Exactly. As and that's why I always tell freelancers, like, don't beat yourself up about it. You cannot please everybody. And especially with content, whether written or like, you know, visual content, it's very subjective to everyone. And mm that's the reason why there can be a mismatch of expectations but that's where you have to think about how do you handle these conflicts do you jump on a call with a client do you um you know offer unlimited revisions uh, what's your process to turning that initial kind of bad experience on the client side into a positive one so some things that people need to think about before kind of operating on these platforms yeah exactly exactly i think do you think it would be damaging though if if you started on on fiverr and your first review was a one star review it's got to be hard to come back from that though right yeah that is tricky um so when i created my fiverr account i actually did some real work for a couple of my friends and family so my first five to ten five star reviews were actually from my friends and family so that was a great buffer that I had in the early days. And then everything else started compounding from there. So that's definitely something I would recommend. As soon as you go live, get somebody in your friends or family, but make sure it's, it's real projects because otherwise mm. you can have your account banned. Um, it does need to be a legitimate project or you know piece of content or project that you are delivering to somebody to be used. Um, so yeah, just make sure that it's legitimate. Otherwise you'll 
get banned. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I recommend to people on uh, platforms like uh, Upwork.com as well. It's just use before you go live uh, or like before you take your first client on there, just get a client from outside. Even everybody thinks, oh, I don't know who to contact, but I think family, friends, even get in contact with your old school or university yeah. and explain exactly. to them the situation like, hey, look, I'm a web designer, I'm looking for this. Can I do a little bit of web work for you here? And I'll charge super low rates because I'm starting yeah. and I need the review. And then, like you said there, you've got, you know, five, five star reviews to get your profile started and, and make yeah. you look really good. I think, I think even if you add five, five star reviews on a platform like Upwork, it would put you in front of 90 two percent of like all of the other freelancers uh, on there yep. so it does give you like uh, a crazy head start but exactly following on from like your massive success on fiverr so now you've founded your own company called WordBrew. what was uh, we'll dive into what that company does and what it is in a second but why why the transition why not just continue the massive success of fiverr uh, what turns you into CEO founder mode? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, firstly, I'm somebody who, like many other people, I, I always want to reach the next thing. I'm very ambitious and I, I see the bigger picture in everything. So I felt to an extent on, on Fiverr that I could be doing more and I could create something even bigger and better and kind of take the services I was delivering in Fiverr to the next level as a company outside of Fiverr, right? So that was really the main thing. I, I, I wanted to be able to have those deeper relationships with, you know, current and prospective clients. So I created a company outside of Fiverr. Um, so the company, obviously, we are now WordBrew. We've recently rebranded um, and there's been a lot of, you know, changes recently when we first launched we were just operating as a traditional agency as um you know as we were doing so in fiverr so that was the initial strategy is like replicate what i'm doing in fiverr outside of fiverr so i don't have to be reliant on the infrastructure of fiverr to earn money have a business right because some things don't last forever what if something happened to fiverr you have to protect yourself if you you know you want to continue doing what you're doing and just, just back yourself up a bit. So that's another reason why I created WordBrew. Um, so yeah, we were operating as a traditional agency, connecting clients with subject matter experts to deliver content um, to them for their businesses, including product descriptions, blogs, email content, you name it, anything that involves words, we did it. So now, of course, with the advent of AI, ChatGPT launching last November, it goes without saying that this has completely shifted the content marketing landscape forever. And I can't lie, this scared me at the start. But then I thought to myself, well, adapt or die. <laughs> Sounds quite dramatic, but it's true. So, I mean, really, sometimes these big shifts force you to think, outside the box and having our existing marketplace of subject matter experts meant that we were well positioned to pioneer the concept of what we call hybrid content. So for those who don't know WordBrew or what hybrid content is, WordBrew is one of the first or the first hybrid content creation platforms that essentially synergizes generative AI 
with our marketplace of subject matter experts. So through this, we basically create personalized narratives that drive brand reach and authority, all deeply rooted in a company's unique insights. So here's how we do it. We essentially absorb a company's brand data to create content that is unique to them. And, and this is a thing with, with AI, context is everything for it. And without it, you, you know, you guessed it, you get generic content back that all of your competitors are posting about. No unique data, no unique insights. It's really just the same as everybody else in your industry. So what we do as part of our hybrid content creation process is we firstly use a company's brand collateral, such as their best performing content pieces, unique data points and research, their style guidelines, just to name a few. And then secondly, we couple this with the content brief that they submit to us, which could be, you know, an a thousand word blog or a, a 5,000 word white paper. So we couple the company data with the content brief to produce a personalized base draft of content that really gets us 70% of the way in the content creation process. And then thirdly, and finally, we route that base draft to a designated subject matter expert from our marketplace who will partially edit, rewrite, partially rewrite, refine the content, whereby it's fully optimized for search engines and simply looks and sounds exactly like the brand and as if somebody in the team wrote it. So it's really this um, synergy between tradition and innovation, which creates superior content. So that's really what WordBrew does. And the issue, so the issue, and one of the main reasons why we decided to introduce hybrid content, aside from the you know, introduction of AI in the first place, is that there's no standardized way within companies in terms of how their content team prompts AI tools when they create content. So right now it's super messy. Everybody has their own way of doing things, their own way of prompting which ultimately results in a diluted brand message. And that's the last thing you want, especially in the age of AI, where all of your competitors have access to these tools, everyone's creating more lower quality content and having that kind of messy process within your team is only gonna result in a diluted brand and a diluted brand message. So WordBrew basically streamlines this process with pre-built templates and prompts to pull in your brand data and create personalized narratives. And finally, the content ultimately gets better and better every time with the feedback loop that we have built into the platform. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. I, I love the pivot that you've made there as well because if you were in an industry which most people fear AI, they fear it because they, they like fear of being replaced. And then you've mm -hmm. just taken that and, and pivoted uh, completely. And then so the objective for you, I guess, and the benefit is that you've got the speed and the efficiency of AI with the human touch that allows you to create that detailed and precise level content that is going to stand yes. you over all the rest. So how was like, how was the first responses from that? Because I guess... Uh, you were working with companies uh, before you made this transition. And then, you know, you had clients, yes. continuous clients and told them, hey, we're now going on to this hybrid mode. 
What was the initial response from the clients? I mean, it was nothing but positive. So before we started offering this hybrid service or hybrid content creation method to our clients at WordBrew, we actually started testing it in Fiverr first. And we got only five-star reviews. Our clients were happier than ever. And that was really our validation to take that over to the WordBrew side, knowing that the quality is there, knowing that the clients were happy, and we wanted to offer it to our existing clients on the WordBrew side. So once we did that, 95% of our clients switched immediately. We actually offered the first hybrid content piece for free. Bearing in mind this was in March, March, April this year, people were still skeptical about, about AI. We'd only really just launched this new way of creating content. So we, know, we knew that there was skepticism around using AI in the content creation process. It's flat, it's generic, it doesn't sound like me, it's not unique. These are all things that we've combated through our hybrid content creation process. We offered the first blog for free to our clients and then 95% of them switched as soon as we did. So yeah, it's been nothing but positive, long story short. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine because there was such a big hype around AI and everybody, mm-hmm every client wants to get involved with it. So offering that like mix of both. And even mm-hmm. I think there's probably a lot of freelancers out there that do this, but just don't label exactly. it as that. So I think yeah. even just labeling it as that and getting in front of people, it probably allows you to charge even more than doing it exactly. by hand yourself. So you've got like yeah. the speed and efficiency and the additional price tag that you can put yes. by just labeling it as this like modern new feature. Um, yeah. That, yeah, it's just a, a fantastic, um, a fantastic business model. But how, I appreciate. Yeah, don't worry. I like love the innovation that you've managed to like to to pull off it. I got like I'm gonna have to try and like like uh, put this into my own practices and and uh, give this uh, you know spread this information like we uh, are doing now. But how do you think this is gonna? Uh, move forward do you think in your personal professional opinion do you think that there's always going to be the need for this hybrid approach or do you think one day we'll get to the point where it's more just prompt engineering rather than just uh like mixing the 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 two pieces of content from human and ai yeah well i think of course ai is going to get smarter and smarter over time and it's doing that at an incredible speed, right? I believe that humans are always going to be involved in the process, whether it's, you know, to, to include or to um, share that data with the platforms to edit, to insert specific quotes or something that AI just wouldn't know unless you shared that information with it. I ultimately believe that any piece of content will be should and will be reviewed by a human expert to you know fine tune it verify the information because ai does lie everybody knows that um and not just for the sake of quality but also integrity right it's 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 so so important especially when you're building a brand you want your content to have that quality and integrity so you're building a, a genuine brand that shares high quality comprehensive information to your target audience and all of these things can be achieved through the hybrid content creation 
creation method, which is why we're super bullish on it. Yeah, and I've seen recently as well on platforms like TikTok and other social media platforms, when you go to post, there is an option that says, is this AI generated content? And I'm pretty yeah. sure if not, if it's happening already that in you know Google's algorithm in terms of search engine optimization and well really a big reason for you know content in the first place that yeah. AI generated content is going to be easily recognizable by these mm. big platforms and by the search engines and you'll probably be penalized for using AI generated content so mm -hmm. having that approach of you know getting the getting the initial idea and using the you know the speed of ai and then having the human like aspect on top of it that's probably yes. fantastic right now and for the future right for in terms of search engine exactly. optimization performance on yep. social media yeah exactly and google have released a number of updates related to this the most important thing for them is that they want to reward companies and websites who share high value, comprehensive information that answers user search intent, right? And most importantly, they want to know that an expert in this subject area has touched the piece of content, not literally touched, but, you know, gone through the content, verified the information. And an example update of this was just yesterday, Google released an update whereby it will uh, reward companies' blogs who verify the co piece of content has been, you know, touched, written by, or reviewed by a subject matter expert. So you need to include the photo of the expert, their name, link to their social accounts, and you will ultimately get better rankings as a result of that. So they really do want to see that verification that it has been touched by a subject matter expert. Oh, wow. I did not know that. That is, yeah, that's incredible. So basically, if you're posting content on like your website or blog, you want to put, what was that, the image of the author, the links to their, to their, yes. you know, socials. Uh, okay, yes. Yeah, that's massive. And then, yeah, there's a huge uh, emphasis on people and, you know, personality focused content these days. So it really wants to see that there are real people involved in the process, especially in the age of AI. Yeah, I, I, I've seen in trends at the moment on social media algorithms, what tends to be getting pushed to the top is really authentic content. So yes. I, I think there's probably more content than ever being generated in terms of video content, blogs, everything. But it's probably a little bit easier to stand out nowadays than even before, because if you're producing authentic content, um, mm -hmm. then these algorithms are really, you know, benefiting you getting pushed, you know, you're getting pushed to the top. And on, on this kind of topic, like what, what do you, in, in your professional opinion, see in the near future as sort of content trends? Is there anything that we should be looking out for uh, or anything that we should be doing? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think this all ultimately comes back to the influx of, low quality content that's coming online and how generic a lot of the content is that we see these days because there's such a low barrier to entry. Every business has access to ChatGBT. Anyone can create passable content, um, but a lot of it is not great. So I think there's going to be a big emphasis on 
personality focused or personality led content whereby it's you know written in first person by somebody in the team whether it's um uh, a, a piece of content written in a Q&A style a piece of content focused on a person rather than focusing on a topic more broadly in a third person perspective and there's a great example of a company that's doing this super well apollo so if you check apollo magazine they have a lot of personality focused content and they're a huge inspiration for me and the content strategy that we aim to have at wordbrew something we're looking to implement a lot more in the new year yeah yeah oh definitely yeah i'll just look at them now but yeah i definitely check those um check those guys uh out afterwards so yeah i think i'm in agreement with you i mean you're more of an expert on me on this front but yeah i i think the 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 authentic content um it is perfect and and you can even nowadays you can use it like this platform we're using right now so we're using riverside to record this and we were just talking before the podcast started about how we're going to use ai so the ai inside of riverside to generate clips from this and yeah it's we're making the content as humans right now ai is helping like speed up that process and create the clips Mm -hmm. um so there's sort of like that synergy there as well and i think for a lot of freelancers no matter what field you're in as long as it's sort of like digital there is probably tools out there using ai to help optimize like your process um yeah and help you basically increase your earnings, work faster mm-hmm. uh, and more efficiently. Um, but you as a, even outside of just the content sort of um, zone, what AI tools are you using right now as a business owner, as a professional? Like what's your go-to in your sort of daily life? Yeah, that's a great question. So of course we're using ChatGPT. Um and OpenAI's playground, but I actually didn't mention this, but WordBrew is building its own hybrid content creation platform, which we are due to launch, I would say in December. Of course, these timelines tend to go on as you you know, fix bugs, make iterations based on customer feedback. Um, and we wanna make sure that we are launching with our, with our best, well, not best possible product because otherwise we'll never launch, but um, mm. we're fixing a few bugs and things in order to actually bring this to market um so that's super exciting and we plan to launch that very soon so keep your eyes peeled <laughs> oh nice well that will that be like i'm just going to kind of guess as to what that is but is that going to be like a platform where you can say hey write me a blog post on beekeeping and then it, it produces mm-hmm. the post and then you can click let's just say okay humanize this with an expert and then they can connect with an expert and obviously they connect and pay Yes. Um, yeah, yes, okay. exactly. that's, that's so, very interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to launch this. And ultimately for us, we, we really want every business to be able to use AI in a way that works for them. So hmm. currently we're focusing on hybrid content as a service. However, within our product roadmap, we do plan to launch the ability to actually decide if that base draft, the personalized base draft is is able to be downloaded as is to edit or kind of use the hybrid method internally within your own content team under your own content management system. Or if you route that base draft to an internal subject matter expert at the WordBrew or within the WordBrew marketplace. So our clients will have that option. And this just means that 
any company at any size can use and benefit from the WordBrew platform, whether they want to edit it or if they want us to edit it. Oh, nice. And, and how are you making this all happen? So did uh, are you building this business and building these features uh, off the back of the profits you made from freelancing and off the back of the revenue at WordBrew? Or did you go for a funding round or how, how are you making yeah. this all happen? Yeah, this has been entirely bootstrapped. So in the early days, I used the Fiverr revenues to fund the WordBrew operation. However, now WordBrew's revenues have been growing strong. So that has been funded entirely by WordBrew. So we have a rockstar developer who's building this platform for us, um, funded entirely by the company, which is super exciting. Yeah, that is yeah. Uh, amazing to be in a position where you can actually do that. Did it ever cross your yes. mind, though, that, um, that okay, I'm, I'm using the, the, the profits from this company to be reinvested? Did it ever cross your mind the fear of failure and that I could have just saved that money or used that money or, you know, redistributed that money in other ways? Is that constant fear or are you you're just no, super absolutely confident? Not. Absolutely not. I, again, tying back to what I said at the start, you cannot live a life of fear. You have to be willing to take risks, especially while you're young, especially while you have a new company. Otherwise, you're probably just going to stunt your growth. Um, and if you don't take risks and try new things, be willing to experiment, then you will just go stale. So super important to have that growth mindset and being somewhat of a risk taker. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree because even in a way you, you can't really fail because of what you're going to learn from this. The, the experience that you're going to gain from yes. it will be, you know, phenomenal. Yes. And I kind of advocate exactly. to young freelancers listening to this that, you know, it, as long as you're in a position where there's, you know, you, not that many people like fully depending on you, you can take all mm -hmm. the risks that you like because the worst case scenario is your bank account goes to zero and if you can move back in with mum and dad, like that is absolute worst case scenario. It's not like you're going yeah. to die or like <laughs> anything like hardcore, you know? So it's like, yeah. that's always been my mindset. It's like, I can take these yeah. crazy risks because mm -hmm. I'm in a, you know, a fortunate position where the, the worst case scenario, I'd go live on a friend's couch or I'd go yeah. live at my brother's place or whatever. Yeah. And, and I think this is never ever got to that stage, but I think having that freedom and clarity to just go for it and take calculated risks has yeah. you know really enabled me to live um you know a constructive freelance lifestyle without having like fears and and all this stuff i think mean, pretty much i like to ask questions about fear and doubt because there's there's obviously a lot of people that are starting out in the freelance world or you know starting entrepreneurs they have a lot of imposter syndrome they have a lot of um they have a lot of fear of failure and yeah it's, yeah. it's good to get to, to get to know the thoughts of you know other successful freelancers and entrepreneurs such as yourself is to like okay just remove that doubt believe in yourself yeah. um and just and just go for it um but other than that like what advice would you give to beginner freelancers uh, and entrepreneurs just starting on their journey yeah i would definitely say Avoid being a generalist. Focus on something you are genuinely passionate about and genuinely good at, and also can build your skills in that subject area. You don't have to be an expert right now. Most people aren't experts as soon as they start. You will learn over time. 
and that's okay. Be willing to learn, be willing to put in the time and effort. And with that coupled with passion, you will go far. Yeah, love it. Exactly. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you uh, uh, more on that front. And um, if people if people want to come and check out your content, if they want to check out WordBrew, how, where, where do they go to get that information? Yes. So you can go to wordbrew.com right now. Um, we're not allowing signups to the platform right yet, but you can join the wait list. If you click on the call to action button in the top right of the website on the homepage, you can sign up and join our newsletter and be the first to find out about all the WordBrew happenings and our launch date. Oh, love it. Exciting stuff. Oh. Exciting stuff. And you, you say April next year, maybe did I hear you say that you're going to uh, look at launching? No, no, no. So hopefully within the month, I would say. Oh, wow. Okay. I was completely wrong. Yeah. Working fast. <laughs> love it. That is a truly rockstar developer. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to say that time has absolutely flown by uh, on this podcast. Like, it's, yes. it's so interesting talking to you. Uh, I want to say like a massive oh. thank you for uh, uh, joining us today and sharing all your insights uh, and successes uh, with us. I would definitely be following uh, your journey as well. I'm rooting for you uh, as you continue, uh, continue on this uh, journey as an entrepreneur now. And yes. um, yeah, if there's, if there's anything else that you, you know, you want to uh, push and promote uh, to the audience today, uh, yeah, feel free to jump in now. And what, what about you? Can, can people follow you? Are you on Instagram? Um, are you on yes. Uh, LinkedIn? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. It should just be Georgia Austin on LinkedIn. On Instagram, it's Georgia Emily Austin. So if anyone has any questions, you can reach out to me on Instagram. Or if you want to have a one-to-one -one call with me, you can book me at um, intro.co slash Georgia Austin. Wow, perfect. Okay, well, yeah, thank you very much. And thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to this episode uh, of the podcast. If you haven't already, please remember to hit that subscribe button. And uh, we will catch you in the next episode of the 100K Freelancer Club podcast. Thank you.